are Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Monday, January 31st. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talkin' Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you like what you're listening to today, then please be sure to go and follow the podcast. You can also go and leave me a review if you want to as well. It'll help me out tremendously. It only takes a quick click of the button to follow, and best of all, it's 100% for free wherever you may be listening to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. It's all absolutely for free, and if you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. Alright, what's up everyone, and as always, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago Blackhawks. And on the show today, folks, I got a special little surprise for you because late last night, I got together with Blackhawks insider Charlie Rumeliotis from NBC Sports Chicago. We chatted for about an hour about a wide variety of topics concerning the Chicago Blackhawks and their future going forward. And as always, it it was a ton of fun talking with Charlie. Uh, Really good conversation. Very insightful, I thought on what Charlie was able to tell us about the team and kind of everything that's surrounding them with the GM search and Derek King and all that and the trade deadline coming up. So it was a really fun conversation, and uh, I hope you all enjoy it as much as I did recording it with Charlie last night. So here it is, folks, my special sit-down with Charlie Rumeliotis from NBC Sports Chicago. All right, folks, joining me now on Lockdown Blackhawks with the Chicago Blackhawks, Having recently reached the midway point of their season, I thought it would be a good time to bring on Blackhawks insider Charlie Rumeliotis from NBC Sports Chicago for a quick chat. Charlie, I appreciate you taking the time to join me tonight, buddy. How you doing? Jack, what's going on, man? It feels weird that you said midway point of the season when we're like flipping the calendar to February. Like, I feel like we're in the home stretch and I'm like, wait, the halfway point? Like, man, it's it's been a long year already. I know. It's crazy. We're four, what are we, 44, 45 games in now. Uh, Still a big chunk of hockey remaining on the schedule, which is nice, of course, having things shortened. Um, But as we were talking about before we started recording, it's been about as busy of a first half as possible for the Blackhawks since you were last on the podcast, Charlie. We got, (laughs) you know, Jeremy Colleton's no longer the head coach. Stan Bowman's no longer here. Uh, Of course, there was all the stuff with Kyle Beach and the lawsuit, Derek King, comes in as new head coach and quite the situation. Uh, and then everything that we've dealt with on the ice as well, it's been crazy, man. And um, when I was like kind of prepping the show, how we were going to go about things, I was kind of having a hard time deciding where to start things <laughs> off because just so much has happened. But um, I figured we could start off by kind of uh, discussing the decision early on in the season to fire Jeremy Colleton after that dreadful one, nine and two start to the season. I know it feels like forever ago, Charlie, but, um, I was just curious what were kind of your thoughts on that whole scenario? You know, did you think it was, um, too late, too early, just the right timing on that decision? Uh, and I don't know about you, but since time has passed, I, I've just kind of had a realization that Jeremy Colleton 
being so young in his career, I just feel like he might not have been the right guy for the job. I don't think he's a bad coach. I think he's got a good young hockey mind. And from all accounts from the players and everything, they all said the same. Um, So I was just kind of curious your take on this. And if you also kind of felt like it wasn't just the right time for him, maybe being so young in his career to come into a Blackhawks team that just previously had uh, Joel Quenville as the head coach and a lot of success with him. Right. No question. That, there's a lot to unpack when you kind of like evaluate it. So let's try to do this like piece by piece. I so agree. when going into the season, I think we could all agree that it felt like Jeremy Colleton's job status was fairly strong because he had just gotten an extension from Stan Bowman, you know, going into the, the COVID year where mm-hmm. they played basically the whole year in the, with no fans. So you, you figured like, okay, that was a, you know, the Blackhawks announced that it was a, a year of transparency where they were going to develop their younger players. And then they finally go out and get all these pieces like Flurry and Seth Jones and Jake McCabe and, and they're adding to the roster. And so you thought, okay, this is finally, it's finally go time for, for the Blackhawks and for Jeremy Colleton. And even in training camp, just talking to Jeremy Colleton, I mean, he was so like, kind of like a weight lifted off his shoulders because he finally had, you know, maybe some of the pieces that he could play his system with. And so I think one of the reporters like asked him specifically, like, do you feel pressure going into the year because of the elevated expectations? And if he's like, if anything, I feel, you know, kind of like freer, like now, now that he has some personnel to, to run what he wants. And so then you have that start to the season. Obviously if it was a disastrous uh, three game road trip to open the year, right. Where it was Colorado and New Jersey and Pittsburgh. And it's just like, Holy cow, like that couldn't have gone any worse. And then it <laughs> continued to spiral and then you're kind of just waiting for the tide to turn like at, at some point. And they just, they couldn't get the, the bleeding to stop. And that was always going to be a challenge. Um, I guess I, I forgot to mention in there, Stan obviously um, is no longer, was no longer at the GM. Obviously he, he had resigned or however mm-hmm. it happened um, because of the, the off ice stuff. And so then that was Jeremy's security blanket obviously was no longer there with, with, with Bowman gone because Stan was obviously his, Jeremy's biggest supporter. Mm -hmm. And so without that, I'm sure Jeremy felt a little bit of pressure, um, especially given how the start, you know, went down. And then I think it was kind of like a balance, like how, how bad does this need to get for us to, to really consider us pulling the trigger on, on a, a little overhaul of the coaching staff, because, you know, you didn't want to make a premature move, but at the same time, you didn't want the season to completely get away from you with such a bad start where now, you know, we're kind of seeing it right now too. Like they've actually under Derek King, like they're, they're a playoff team. Like I think they're a bubble in, in as far as points percentage, they're like right in that seventh, eighth spot on, since Derek King took over. And, and we thought that's probably where they would have been. Um, if, if they continued this pace at the start of the season, but the start was so bad that it just feels so insurmountable. And so maybe they waited a little bit too long, but I think it was such difficult circumstances, everything that was happening off the ice and you know, the, the start on the ice, it was just tough to kind of find the right moment to do it. And then, um, Kyle, Kyle Davidson, the, the interim general manager obviously made the decision to, to pull the trigger on it. And I I think it was, I liked what he said in his, in his press conference when he, when he, um, uh, when Derek and and him kind of took over as the interim titles, he he said, it wasn't that we were losing. It was how we were losing, right? Like Mm -hmm. they just, anytime they went down two to nothing, which was basically like in the first period, it, it felt like the game was over. And so like, they were such a mentally fragile group. And I think that's where, you know, that's why the decision was made to let him go. And 
and then the rest is history. But now we're kind of seeing the Blackhawks be a little bit of a bubble team under Derek King. I just worry that they're they're way too far gone because of the the bad start that I don't know if they'll be able to get back into the playoff picture. Yeah, I know. It's really put them in a hole. They're they're 15, 12 and five at the moment under Derek King. And um, we've definitely just seen the Hawks be a lot more competitive, right? I feel like that's been the biggest thing most nights, even against, you know, some of the top teams as of late Vegas, the Hawks beat earlier in January, they put together two pretty good efforts against the Minnesota wild last weekend. Uh, and then obviously Colorado, they had two pretty good fights there. Um, so it, it's tough because I feel like the Hawks are far more comparable to the 15, 12 and five record that they have with King than the 16, 21 and seven record that shows in the standings, you know, um, mm-hmm. like, I feel like they're that, that 500 team that can kind of hang with anyone when they play to their best. Um, but that's unfortunately not what matters. And uh, it's tough because I feel like it's put them in a position here where as we close into the trade deadline, two months away, um, obviously there still is some time and anything can happen, but it feels like we're almost undoubtedly headed towards being sellers. I feel like in the next couple of months, again, unless something crazy happens, would you agree with that statement, Charlie? Yeah, totally. And and I think Kyle Davidson is taking a realistic approach to, to this season as well. Um, I think part of the reason why in, in past maybe trade deadlines or in over the off season where it just felt like Stan Bowman and maybe the old regime that they felt like maybe jobs were on the line, like every, every postseason or not postseason or every um, trade deadline or off season is what I meant to say. And so Kyle Davidson really has no ties to like the previous um, kind of expectations. So I think he's taken a very realistic approach saying like, listen, like, yeah, we might be a, a seven or eight seed under Derek King. Like it, it, had we continued on this pace from the start of the season, but realistically, you know, they have like a single digits uh, percentage of making the playoffs. So you can't really stand pat or, or not try to accumulate some future assets for, for some of the players that might have value right now to, to kind of speed up a little bit, the process of, of getting back into contention. Um, now to what degree, uh, that's up for debate. I don't see them being, uh, like, obviously we talk about Al- like Alex to name, um, gained some, uh, it was interesting. Yeah, it was converse. I, and I, I think the part of the conversation, the, why his, his name is out there is because, um, it was like, it was a report from, from Frank Saravalli that saying like mm-hmm. the three untouchables on the Hawks were Kane Taves and, and Seth Jones. And well, it's easy to say that because all three of them have no movement clauses. <laughs> so like, um, I, and, and Alex to it obviously is the one player that does not. And I think if we're looking at the roster, like which player would recoup the biggest, uh, package in return, it's Alex to it. So like a lot of people are, are out there saying like, well, he's only 24 and he's the, one of the best players on the team. And he can, you know, I think that's all part of the reason what makes him enticing. And, and I'm not for it. Like I would not trade Alex to it. I'm just kind of throwing it out there. That's, that's probably the reason why he, he, he might be a hot commodity for other teams is because he is a young player. He is really good. And he's at a cost relatively cost controlled uh, price before he kind of hits that big payday. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would keep him like, I, I would, I would not trade Alex to it unless literally a team, the only way I'm trading Alex to it is if the organization decides we are going to burn this thing to the ground and start from scratch. We, we have to, we're going to lose. We're going to be like Arizona. We're going to accumulate high draft picks, et cetera. That's the only way you, you kind of do that. But I, I don't, I, I don't see the, the Blackhawks doing that right now. I think they, they certainly need to take a few steps back before they can go forward again. 
but I don't think stripping it down to the very ground is, is the, the route, at least as of right now. Yeah, I wouldn't open that door unless I was getting wowed by the offer. And it would have to be really spectacular. I mean, Alex DeBrinkett has scored 25% of the goals for the Blackhawks this season. I mean, without him, I don't even want to know where this team would be. Um, But with the Blackhawks heading in this direction, Charlie, the one guy who, of course, is generating the most traction is Marc-Andre Fleury. And the situation that he finds himself in is kind of interesting here because uh, undoubtedly the Blackhawks could use a first round pick in this upcoming NHL draft. They don't have one right now because of the deal they made with Columbus in the summer to get Seth Jones and flurry is certainly their most likely chance of getting that first round pick. But we also have heard that Fleury's going to have some say in this matter here. Uh, and he's got a 10 team, no trade clause as well. So there's a lot that goes into this, but I, I was wondering, you know, what's kind of your feeling on, on this whole thing. Do you think flurry is, you know, inevitably going to be traded um, and do you think a, a first round pick is in the realm of possibility? I know goaltenders are always, it's tough to judge, but um, do you think that's possible for the Blackhawks? I know a lot of fans are curious about that. Yeah. So first and foremost, um, so it's my understanding that the Blackhawks and Marc-Andre Fleury's representatives uh, mutually agreed that they, that Fleury would not be moved unless Fleury had a say in the matter. So like if a team came to the Blackhawks and said, you know, we want Flurry. We'll give you a first round pick. Like the, the Blackhawks are not going to say Flurry. Sorry. Tough luck. Like we're, we're shipping you there. Right. Like I think right. there's some respect there. Um, you know, the, the difficult part is that's the one asset that, that you have to move if you're out of a playoff spot and you figure that he's not going to be back with the team, like whether that's the Chicago's decision or Flurry's decision, like there's no really real assurance of what his future is it would be really difficult not to get anything back for him. So I think that's where, you know, we're probably going to probably going to see probably like during the, the all-star break, or maybe a little bit after that, the Blackhawks will, will have conversations with Flurry's representatives or, or heck, even when, you know, if, or they, they hired the, the full-time general manager uh, beforehand, like that, that's a conversation that, that, that needs to start happening sooner rather than later. Um, the one team I will say it makes the most sense for me is, is the Colorado avalanche. Um, I know the Edmonton Oilers, their names, their name is out there. Um, given their need for a goaltender, their desperate need for a goaltender, but GM Ken Holland said, we're not giving up a first round pick for a rental. And so, and plus they're out of a playoff spot like right now. So I don't know if Marc-Andre Fleury would necessarily be like, yeah, I'll go there because there's no real guarantee that they'll make the playoffs. Right. So he's not going to go to a, Canadian team and the the border situation is obviously very complicated. So he's not going to kind of leave his family for, you know, a couple months to, to be with the team in Canada and they might not even make the playoffs. And then interestingly, the, the Washington capitals were also linked. I think Elliot Friedman had it in his 32 thoughts column, but he, he followed that up by saying um, he doesn't, he doesn't feel like Marc-Andre Fleury would do that because he's, he's still a Pittsburgh boy at heart. <laughs> and he's like, I'm way too committed to the Penguins. So I don't think we'll see that. So I think really the one team to watch, if it got to that point is the Colorado avalanche, but, and I mistakenly assumed that they had a first round pick on my, on our podcast, uh, in our last episode, but they don't have a first round pick this year, um, to, to give up. So, and, and this is probably the year you don't want a first round pick. But that would be an interesting kind of dynamic. Like if Colorado expressed some interest and Marc-Andre Fleury was, was willing to, to kind of waive his, his no trade clause uh, to, a, to a contender, what does that package look like specifically for Colorado? Because you're, you're not getting a first round pick this year. 
Um, it would have to be a high level prospect or, you know, a first rounder in, in the future, which I don't know if the organization would, would want to do that. So I, I don't, I, it's, it's all, there's so many layers to the Mark andre Fleury situation, just the Mark andre Fleury situation. There's so many layers, but it ultimately, if we had to like sum it up, it ultimately comes down to, to what he wants and where he would want to go. And if he wants to stay and just say, you know what, I just want to ride out the siege in Chicago and I don't want to deal with the headache of having to be away from my family for that long. So that it's really going to be up, up to him and it, ultimately his decision. Yeah. And it feels like it's getting to that time where those conversations are going to have to be had um, just so the Blackhawks kind of know uh, what to expect and kind of um, where right. they, they have to be thinking going forward. Um, but there's also a couple of other guys on expiring contracts too, guys like uh, Calvin DeHaan, who, who has uh, his contract coming up at, at the summertime. And then Ryan Carpenter can be thrown in that group as well, two veteran guys who I think could be assets. Um, but I'm really curious as to your thoughts on Dylan Strom and Dominic Kubalik, two other guys who have been rumored to be on the trade block for a little bit for the Blackhawks. Uh, in your opinion, what do you think is the likelihood we, we could see a trade for either Strom or Kubalik in the next couple of months? And um, has there been any change in opinion surrounding their statuses from the front office that you've heard anything is particularly with Strom and the impact that he's been able to make lately since getting a top line center role with Patrick Kane. Yeah. I, I think really everyone is up for grabs. Like, I think the Blackhawks are, are not actively shopping a, a ton of players, but they're, they're listening on pretty much every player. And as you were talking, I, I pulled this up because I wanted to make sure that I got this correct, but we could talk about like Dylan Strom and a guy like Dominic Kubalik and Calvin DeHaan and, and even Marc-Andre Fleury. I just counted. I'm on cap friendly right now. There are 18 teams right now in the National Hockey League that have $1 million or less in cap space available. And guess who a lot of those teams are? Playoff teams, right? So like if if guy or if teams are tr- are looking to add salary or looking to uh, add uh, potential pieces for a Stanley Cup run, a, they're going to have to probably move money out and B, it better be a player worth moving money out to make, making sure that that player is a missing piece and can put us over the edge. Mm-hmm. So th- that's, that's a, that's the difficult part. Um, I was talking to a, a scout, an Eastern conference scout um, the other day, and, and they, they said really the only guy on the Hawks that, that our team would love, and this is a playoff type team is Brandon Hagel. And I was like, well, get in line. A lot, of people, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of teams want Brandon Hagel, right? So like if, if we're, if we're, you know, obviously we're kind of trimming around the edges, like Kubalik and Dylan Strom, like teams, teams would want a guy like Brandon Hagel or someone, someone, something of value. Right. And Hagel is valuable, obviously on the ice, but his contract is also very favorable for the next couple of years at $1.7 million. So like, that's what, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at we're looking at teams that are trying to add value players both on the ice, but also cap hit wise, because there just is not enough money. Uh, teams just don't have cap space to, to make a move for a guy. Let's say like Dylan Strom, like, Hey, we'll take a flyer on Dylan Strom at $3.7 million. Like teams don't have room to do that. Right. So that's where it gets dicey. And that's why I don't know necessarily if uh, players like Kubelik or, or Dylan Strom will get traded at the, at the deadline for that reason alone, unless the Blackhawks really eat salary. 
All right, my conversation with Charlie Lumeliotis will continue on in just one moment, but first, I need to talk to you all real quick about Built Bar, which is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. It's the new year, and that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or even eating healthier, then make sure to include Built Bar in your plan, because right now, you can get the best of both worlds with Built Bar, delicious and healthy. In so many flavors, you'll have a hard time choosing. Are you going to go with raspberry or mint brownie, coconut almond or double chocolate, cookies and cream or peanut butter brownie? Either way you choose, Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because they taste so good, you'll actually want to eat them. Unlike some other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or even just taste like a chemical spill. And even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is also good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. And for a limited time offer, you can go to BuiltBar.com right now. Just use our exclusive promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com with the promo code LOCKED15. That's one word LOCKED in all caps, followed by the number 15, to get 15% off your next Built Bar order. And if they don't end up getting moved because of these salary uh, uh, complications affecting plenty of teams around the league, do you think there's still long-term interest for those guys from the Blackhawks, or you know, is that kind of just... Um, something we're going to wait and have to wait and see until the summer. Yeah, it's that's a good question and I don't think necessarily there is urgency for the Blackhawks to have to move players like Kubalik and Strom if they're not part of the long-term plans. Um I know Kubalik is arbitration eligible. Um so the Blackhawks probably don't want to, you know, get in in that situation. Um is Dylan Strom arbitration eligible? I can't remember. I'm looking this up on the fly. Yep, he's got arbitration rights too. So both of those guys have arbitration rights. So, but I don't think it would be out of the realm of possibility to maybe re-sign them to a short-term deal and try to um like Dominic Kubalik, for example. How good was he his first year? 30 goal score in Incredible. the bubble. He looked, I mean, in the bubble, he was a point per game player playing top six minutes, right? Right now he's just on on Strom and Kubalik specifically, you would be selling low, right? So like it would almost be worth worth it to to kind of re-sign them and try to get them back to their level that we're accustomed to seeing. And, and then if they kind of max out their price, then you flip them, right? So mm-hmm. I think maybe that's a route I could see the Blackhawks taking. But you know, if they feel like they got to get to a point where it's just they want to move bodies out or they want to move cash out, then then maybe that is the route they go. But I don't know if there's necessarily uh, urgency to move them out. If you want to try to maximize their value in, in return, like what you could get from them in return, because maybe that's a better option for, for, for next year when maybe their, their value goes up again. Yeah, it definitely does make sense. It's going to be an interesting situation for a bunch of those guys on the Blackhawks. And with this kind of crucial period coming up, right? We got the trade deadline, as I said, now less than two months away. Um, it feels like, we, we've started to see this urgency now, and I definitely have to bring up the Blackhawks ongoing search for their new general manager. And it feels like you would want the person to be leading this organization in the future to be the one to actually make those decisions. So I understand uh, why the Blackhawks have kind of now announced that they're, you know, started the interview process. Danny Wirtz had that statement. 
Um, and they said that they want this thing wrapped up at the very least by that trade, that trade deadline. But uh, I wanted to ask you, Charlie, um, what, what's like kind of the latest you've heard around that? Like how soon can we expect a decision to be made? I, I'm not sure if you heard about uh, that report. I think it came from Frank Saravalli as well that said uh, he was told this could be over in two to three weeks. Have you heard anything similar? Uh, and also um, what's the latest you've kind of heard about Kyle Davidson and his future with the Blackhawks? Yeah. So I've heard similar things. I, I've heard that they're trying to wrap this up in, in a few weeks because they want to give that whoever that is, that full-time general manager is, they want to give that person time to kind of step into the role, kind of find his bearings. And like, what you don't want to do is hire him on, you know, a week and a half before the trade deadline. They're like, Hey, hurry up. We got to make decisions here. You know what I mean? So I I think they want to get this up fairly wrapped up fairly quickly. Um, And and I, I've got to be honest, Jack, like I think it's Kyle Davidson's job to lose right now. And I I think he's really, um, He's a very uh, bright hockey mind. And I think the one thing about him that a lot of people within the organization uh, probably appreciate is he's a very, um, uh, he, he's very humble. Like he's, he comes with humility. So like if you walk into a room and he, he can ask maybe a low level employee, a lower level employee, like, what do you think we should do? Like he, he genuinely wants to know everybody's opinion and then make a decision. Whereas like maybe you know, the old regime, I don't want to say, like, I don't want to make it sound like I'm calling out Stan Bowman or something, but he has so much clout. Like he, he was around for, for 10, 11 years. Like he probably has, you know, he collects all his information and then you make a decision. It ultimately falls on, on that. But I, I think Kyle is very open to like different kinds of opinions and very likable dude too. Like very, very uh, likable guy, both, both on um, I was going to say on and off the ice, but like, you know, just, it, I was going to say like in front of the media and like behind the scenes, like he, he's just a very, so I, I think I honestly would be surprised if it's not Kyle Davidson that that gets this full-time promotion. Interesting. Can Kyle Davidson play center? We could use some help there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mark, Mark Andre Fleury, actually, I don't know if you saw the video. I did. Today at I, practice. Did. I was going to say, put him on a line with, with Patrick Kane. I think Patrick would probably appreciate that. I know Fleury's I got some, he's got some hands. I know. I saw the patience. It looked like that goal that Kaner just scored the other day. He scored yeah. it on Borgs from there. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that no, was that was funny. But uh, yeah, I've definitely been impressed with everything I've seen from Kyle Davidson. I remember that first interview that he had with Derek King after the Jeremy Colleton firing occurred. I thought he was very poised and like for being so young and kind of new to this whole process. I thought he went in front of the cameras and handled it very well and said all the right things. And really is that outside perspective who, you know, wasn't here for the past 10 years and is coming in to make a change. And I, I'm liking to hear that you said he's interested to hear all the opinions from everyone, because why not, you know, take in all the input you can possibly gather, right? Because clearly things haven't gone the best these past couple of years. Why not try, try and change things up and have a new mentality and take all routes possible. So I've been really impressed with what I've seen and heard from Kyle Davidson so far. And um, it's interesting to hear that you say it's kind of his job to lose. Um, And I think, you know, with what he's been able to do so far. I know it's only a little move like flipping Sam Lafferty for Alex Nylander, but I've been really impressed with what I've seen from Sam Lafferty so far. I don't know about you. Yeah. I actually, I also want to jump in and say this point about Kyle, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem, dog. um, So like Kyle, the one thing about him too, is maybe, maybe when it could get GMs in trouble, if you trade for a player and you get married to that player and you have to try to make it work, like, for example, obviously, we, we know that the Stan Bowman trade with with um, for Alex Nylander or whatever with Brandon Saad or whoever, like there there's there's this um, 
there's this idea that like you, well, yeah, well, we gave up so much to get and we have to make it work. Well, it's like, well, part of the part of compounding the problem is by like not admitting that it was a mistake, right? Like, you know, Definitely. if you trade for a guy like Alex Nylander and you think, you know, he could be a top six player, but he's not showing that he can be a top six player. Like it doesn't do you any good to just keep him on the roster and be like, well, we, we gave up Henry Yokihari for him. So we got to make this work. You know, like it's just, it's almost like, I kind of compare it to like NFL quarterbacks where, you know, maybe you, you draft a quarterback really high, but within two years you realize, Oh man, like this guy is not very good. Like you compound the problem by, by saying, well, we, we've invested so much in him. We have to stick with him. Like you, you delay the process of like getting, getting better. Like if admitting that, okay, we made a mistake on, for example, like we made a mistake on Mitch Trubisky. We got to move on like right now or else it's going to be like, ham, it's going to hang. look even future. worse. Right. Exactly. Like it's just going to make it even worse. And then it's going to delay the process. And then you miss out on guys like Patrick Mahomes or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? So I think that's where I like Kyle. Kyle probably has a good, he has a good head on his shoulders where like, you know, if he might make a trade or whatever, and it just doesn't work out, he's not going to be very married to the, to the player. He's going to be like, listen, we made, we made a mistake or whatever. Hypothetically in a, in a hypothetical, hypothetical scenario, we made a mistake. We got, we got to move on. Like, like, you know, just chalk it up as an L and just move forward. So I think that's what I appreciate as well of, of him. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how this thing goes in the next couple of weeks. If indeed the Blackhawks are trying to wrap up their GM search here rather soon, uh, but getting into some of the on ice stuff now, Charlie, I know there's a ton of off ice stuff that we could discuss with uh, the Blackhawks here coming up into a crucial stretch, but uh, getting into some on, on the ice stuff, um, first things first, man, throughout the course of the season, this Blackhawks offense, it's just been killing them all year long near the bottom of the league and goals per game all season. And I just really, I can't make sense of it, man, because on paper, you think this group would be better in that department than they were last year. And, and they've got some talented guys. Do, do you have any explanation as to why there's so much struggle to score goals consistently? Because dude, even like I'll be sitting next to you in practice and they're doing two on two drills and nothing is happening the whole time. And it's like, Oh my God, man, what are we watching? Yeah. So the five on five scoring maybe doesn't surprise me as much that they're near the bottom of the league. Um, just because they are so dependent on Kane and to bring it. And obviously there were, there were so many question marks about Jonathan Taves and what, um, what type of player he would be after taking a year off. Um, so I'm not really, I mean, yeah, I'm surprised it's like this bad, but like, I'm not really surprised that they're near the bottom of the league where I'm surprised about it. Like what I'm surprised about, excuse me, is, is the, the power play. Like the first 12 games, what, what was it? The 12 games under Jeremy Colleton. Like they literally yeah. had the best power play in the NHL. I'm like this. And even in training camp, I, I think, I think you might've been there for, for mm-hmm. a few of them, right? Yep. Like that power play was, was zipping it. Like, I'm like, this power play is going to be really good this year. And I don't know if it coincided with Jeremy Colton's firing or if it coincided with the Tyler Johnson injury, maybe a combination of both. But ever since then, they have had the worst power play in the NHL. And I, I don't understand it. And, and Patrick Kane said he doesn't understand it either because he said, you know, if you asked me at the beginning of the year where I thought our power play would finish, I'd tell you top five. And right now it's like, it's the worst in, in the NHL. So it, it doesn't make any sense to me because even if you look at some of the metrics, like they're, yeah, I know it, it's been inconsistent as of late, but like when they weren't scoring at the beginning and they were, they were like on a terrible stretch, 
they were still getting so many chances. Like their expected goals for was like four or five and they, their actual goals were like zero. So it's like, wow, <laughs> like that's, that's an incredible, that's a significant gap, right? It's not like their expected goals are like three and they're, they have two, you know, it's like, they, like they, they deserved a little bit of more of puck luck, but I just don't understand why their power play like isn't as good as it should be or how it was at the beginning of the season, because they have the pieces they have, arguably a top five goal scorer in the NHL and Alex to one of the best playmakers and Patrick Kane, one of the, one of the best two way defensemen in Seth Jones. They got, you know, uh, Jonathan Taves, the, the best face-off guy in the, in the NHL. So like they, so it just, it doesn't make sense to me. It, it really doesn't. And I don't know how I know uh, Patrick Kane talked about how important Tyler Johnson was in that bumper role. And they really haven't been able to find anyone else no. in that spot, a right-handed shot, right? Like they tried, carpenter and they tried kirby <laughs> doc and it's like they're trying to like we need a right-handed shot so i guess we'll put carpenter in there because he's you know he's, he's a guy that, that can was great pucks. yeah and so like hegel's in that spot right now which is which is fair like he's definitely a puck retrieval type he's actually been pretty solid in that spot as of late yeah but he's not a right-handed shot and so it kind of throws things off because like patrick kane um you know, if you were a right-handed shot like Pat- patrick kane could feed you a pass right there and you could tee it up right but if you're a left-handed shot Patrick Kane ain't giving you a one-timer from that spot, right? Like, look at Washington, how they, the two teams. Oshie. Yep, Washington with, with TJ Oshie and, and Tampa Bay with Braden Point. Like, they can get off shots in that slot better than anyone else in the NHL. So it is a really important position. Um, and so, you know, having that right-handed shot, and, and that's the, the common denominator between the, those two as well, that Oshie and Braden Point have right-handed shots. And it's just so easy for, like, Kucherov or whoever to, or uh, to just to tee him up. And, you know, same, same with Washington, you got Ovechkin on the other side of the circle. So in like in Chicago's case, that's to bring it. So like, you know, you, you have like the pieces there, but not having that right-handed shot really does make a difference. I just, Jack, I don't think it makes like going from the best in the league to worst in the league. Like that is, that's a discrepancy that I just don't understand. Yeah. It's been really odd. They definitely have the talent to do it. One thing I definitely wanted to get your take on I feel like with the power play struggles and Dominic Kubelik's ability to just absolutely clap it at the left circle, I know that's always been Patrick Kane's bread and butter, and that's been the reason why Kubelik hasn't gotten as much time there. But do you feel like they need to start getting Kubelik more looks at that right dot? Because there's not many guys who can hammer the puck the way he can on a one-timer. And I know you want to bring it at the left and Kane at the right, but that has not been working for the last couple of months here consistently anyways. I was wondering if you've ever thought the same thing about getting Kubalik more looks there at the right dot instead of Kane. I know it would be costly, but why not at this point? Yeah. So here's what I would throw out. If, if we got to this point, like if we're, it's, we're just like total desperation mode and we're like, all right, let's just, let's just throw this together and just, let's just see it. Let's just try it. If you want to get like, because I totally agree, like Kubalik has an absolute rifle of a shot. And he, that is a very, that's a threat. But the, the problem is it's that's Patrick Kane's spot. And then the other side is to bring it, right? So like, who's moving? Right. What if, you know, what if, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily advocating for this, but I was saying, if you wanted to get all three of those guys, what if you put Dominic Kubelik and Patrick Kane's spot on the right circle? You put Alex to bring it in the slot. There's your right-handed shot. And you put Patrick Kane on the other. So Patrick Kane can feed Kubalik on the other side of the circle and Kubalik can feed to bring it in the slot. I don't know if I would do it, 
but that's the only way you could really get all three of those guys on the ice at the same time and be like, okay, this could work. actually make sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, but obviously the flip side to that is why on earth would you take to away from that circle? You know, like he's scoring like so many goals there. So it's just, it's a hard combination. And I think the difficult part about it too, is the, the first power play gets so much time that like when Dominic Kubelik jumps on the ice for the second unit, there's typically like 35 seconds left. And like, there's just no time to set up because then at the, the five second mark, you, you'll hear the goalie tapping the stick. And then one of the guys, one of the forwards will race to the bench and, and the second defender will just, so it's really only like 25 seconds. It's just not enough time to get set. So Dominic Kubelik doesn't have any chances because I, he, he really is like the, the left-handed version of, like an Alex Ovechkin, like he's got that hard of a shot. He does. It's crazy. And you're right. And so it's just, it's just difficult um, because I, I just don't know how you make the pieces work without taking Kane, Kane and to bring it away from, from what make them best. Yeah, definitely. I was just curious as to your take on that because it's a thought I've had watching the Blackhawks struggle on the man advantage for some time now. Uh, and speaking of offensive struggles, one guy in particular who's been going through that is former first round pick Kirby doc. Uh, and now we've even, you know, Heard Doc talk about this to the media, um, you know, saying that, you know, maybe the goals and the assists are maybe where he wants them to be. Um, and, you know, with the world being the way it is, uh, of course, there's plenty of chatter going on about, you know, Doc with Blackhawks fans and with his struggles so far this year. Um, do you have any worries at all about Doc or, or do you just think this is kind of just a normal struggle for a kid trying to adjust to the NHL level? Yeah. First of all, I commend him for, for, stepping away from from social media and removing yeah. the apps from his phone because i mean listen i, I like it's, it's funny because like i tweeted like kirby doc removed social media from his phones or whatever and there were such like negative comments i was like ah he saw or whatever dude, i was like yeah I was like, you know what you're probably the reason why he deleted the, the social media apps from his phone right so and i actually did that um over the summer i, I did it for like a like two week period and it was like so refreshing like it was so good like you know you find yourself kind of like, Oh, I'm not doing anything. Let me, let me check my phone. And it's just like, when you don't have that option, you're like, Oh, wow. Okay. Like, well, I got so much free time. So it is nice that, that he's doing it. And I don't, the negativity, like, I just don't have time for, for people that say like, you know, he, he's soft or whatever for deleting. So like this world is toxic. So anyway, <laughs> definitely. Um, but as far as like on the ice and, and his, but I think like nobody puts more pressure on himself than, than Kirby or than Kirby doc, right? Like he is mm-hmm. very hard on himself. I think the one thing um, that is probably like compounding the pressure is that you remember that 2019 draft where the, the two slam dunk choices, it was Jack Hughes, Capo Caco. And then it was like the real draft starts right at the Blackhawks pick. Right? right. And they had like eight to 10 guys that they could have chosen from and nobody would have blinked. Right. Like, no, it was like Alex Turcotte and Bowen Byram and Trevor Zegris and, and all these, let's see, Lee Pod Coles and like all these players that they could have chosen from. And it was like, now there's so much pressure to like, want to be the guy that like, they could have gone in any different direction. They chose me. Like, I want to make sure that I reward them. And now mm-hmm. you're seeing like freaking Trevor Zegers is on every highlight reel now. And like Moritz Sider is like having one of the best uh, seasons of a rookie defenseman in the last 30 years. And it's like, all those guys were drafted in that class, like in the same range as Kirby. So I'm sure he's feeling a lot of pressure, like internally, externally, I don't know how it compounds, but I'm sure that all kind of plays a role. Um, and so 
and then I think the other part of it too, is he's trying to figure himself out as a player. Like I remember when he first got drafted, he was like, who's your comparable. And he's like, the two players I like to watch is Mark Shifley and Ryan Getzlaff. And those guys are, are point per game guys. Like at their, at their peak, like Mark Shifley is like an 85 point guy, a two way yeah. player. Same with Ryan Getzlaff. I don't know if Kirby doc is a point per game per game player. Like I, I don't know if he, because he, he historically has not been that player. So I think he's trying to find a balance between knowing that he has some offensive skill, but also recognizing that I might need to play. I might need to be more of a Jonathan Taves than, you know, a, a Patrick Kane, right? Like maybe I'm not the facilitator or the driver of an offense, but I am going to shut down top lines on a consistent basis. And I can also chip in on offense and be maybe a 60 point 60 to 65 point guy per year or like whatever, 55 to 60 five point guy per year, but that's what makes me effective at the NHL level. And I think it's difficult because maybe he wants to see himself as, as like a really elite uh, centerman. Um, but I think it's just going to take time. Like some guys develop differently. I don't know where my concern level is at yet. Cause I still think it's early. I just think once he reaches that mental process or that mental point where I'm like, okay, you know what? This is who I am as a player. This is what my role is going to be at the NHL level let me focus on being really good at this. And I think when he comes to that conclusion of when he identifies what that type of player looks like, that's when I think he'll start to kind of like, you know, develop into his own and be like, okay, let me, let me just watch Alexander Barkov highlights uh, like all night and all day. And, you know, hopefully I can become a player like that where I'm like in the Selkie conversation and not necessarily the, the art Ross conversation. Right. I, I feel, I agree with a lot of the points that you just brought up there. Um, and I feel like, you know, because he was such, he was such a high pick, like, because he's not putting up these incredible numbers, you know, people are so quick to jump on, you know, a number three overall pick who's not lighting it up a point per game at 20 or 21 years old that they overlook what he actually has been already able to accomplish at such a young age. Like he already is an incredible defensive player. Like that's the side of the game he's already figured out. So if he could figure out the offensive thing, like he has potential to be a really dominant player on both ends of the ice. Um, maybe it's not superstar level, but I don't think you can argue that he's a, a, not going to be a factor on the ice because of the way he's able to play the game. Like he's so strong defensively. And I understand there's people out there who's wanting him to be this offensive weapon. And you see Trevor Zegras doing these incredible moves, right? And you want Kirby to be doing those same things, but it's unfair to compare everybody to each other. Everybody develops differently. And it's just so frustrating to hear like people talk this way about Kirby, right? Because this is a guy we want to be the face of our franchise. And there are a lot of things that he's already done well, like we should be encouraging him on. So it was just frustrating to hear that. Um, you know, it's gotten to the point. I don't know if it was all the negativity that Folsom forced him to delete social media or whatnot, but I'm happy to hear, you know, he's kind of getting that away because I don't know about you, but even when I'm watching him at practice, Charlie, it just looks like sometimes it looks like sometimes he just feels like he has the weight of the world on his shoulders. Right. I, I just like, yeah. you know, I'm not standing right next to him, so I don't know a hundred percent, but I feel like there's times where he's just not looking like he's having a whole lot of fun out there. And he's like, so frustrated with the situation that he he's found himself in now do you do you feel the same thing have you noticed that at all yeah for i i think it's because he he cares a lot and and i think he is like 
he puts so much pressure on himself that it's like almost like a detriment, like to the point where it's like, oh, well, you, you know, you just got to like loosen the like Derek King always likes to say, just drop the shoulders a little bit, just have fun. Like the game, um, you know, the game of hockey, you know, hasn't changed or whatever. So it's um, and I think, too, we have to we have to we have to point this out as well. But like he really didn't get a fair um, start at the NHL level like he probably got thrown in a little bit early. And I would I would argue that. You know, one of the reasons why the Blackhawks didn't, uh, you know, they had that, it was that awkward rule where it's like, he couldn't, he wasn't eligible for the AHL. So like he, they had, yeah. he had to stay on the roster or go back to Saskatoon. So it was like, well, that was the off season that the Hawks signed Robin Leonard and they reacquired Andrew Shaw and they traded for Calvin DeHaan and Oli Mata and all these, they, they made all these roster additions. And it was like, well, clearly those are moves that are motivated by we want to get back into playoffs this year and so kirby doc obviously he gets a concussion in the the last game of the traverse city tournament and then he has no training camp and then he he's like on the like joining the team on the fly and his first game is against like he literally lined up against alex ovechkin and tom wilson <laughs> his his first nhl game like he had no time i think he had one or two condi- conditioning stints in rockford but then he had to like get called up and and then it was like okay well is he staying or is he not and it was like he was he was good enough to be like one of the 12 forwards, but it was like, he was also like 18 years old. Like there, there was no, you know, there, there was really like no, and all this while, while this is happening, like Adam Boquist also got called up and like way too early because the, the offense was like really struggling in the first month and they were struggling on the back end. So they needed more offense and maybe they needed to give the fan base a little bit of hope by, by bringing up their, you know, their top defenseman prospect. And so it was just all these factors. And so like, yeah, like Kirby Doc is in year three. You know, technically he's probably in year two because he missed uh, pretty much the majority of the season last year with the wrist injury. But it's just like, you know, everyone's written him off. Like, well, he's a bust. Like he, he's this as a player. And it's like the, the dude just turned twenty one. Like I, I didn't even know how to tie my shoes at twenty one. It's an exaggeration, <laughs> but like I, I was so such a like, you know, like I didn't I just know think anything. The perspective. Yeah, I, I didn't. I mean. I'm still learning like things in my business or whatever. And like, I, I make so many mistakes and like I beat myself up over it. I'm turning 30 in, in May. Right. So like this poor kid is just turned 21 and like everyone's labeling him, you know, whatever, which is fair. Like, listen, the on ice critiques are fair, but like when you're drawing a conclusion on a player after however many games he's played at the national hockey league, like, I don't even know if it's, is it more than a hundred? I, I believe I don't so. Know. I believe so. I think it was it 80 a little something. Bit... I think it was 80 something coming into this year. So I think he's just okay. over a hundred. So like just over a hundred games. Like, I mean, come on, like, what are we doing? So uh, listen, you, you can draw conclusions. Like maybe, he, you know, if you, if you have the opinion, like I, you don't think he could be a, you know, a, a 90 point player. Fine. Like that's fine. But like to, to just say like he stinks or whatever, just like go to the extreme. It's just like, it's so excessive. And that's probably the reason why he deleted social media because you know, a lot of fans probably have these unrealistic expectations about what he is as a player because he never, he didn't come into the NHL. Like, look at his Saskatoon numbers. Like, he didn't blow right. the, his statistics out of the water. Like, he, I think at the time the regime said we liked him, uh, especially in the playoffs, because when when like teams gave it to him in the playoffs or when like opponents gave it to him, like he dished it right back. Right. So like it wasn't like he averaged like two points a game in the playoffs and like he, he elevated his offense. It was, you know, they, they probably saw a player that could be a really dependable two-way guy can be a pest to play against in the playoffs because they had players like Patrick Kane and 
and the skilled guys. They just needed somebody that had some moxie. Right. And I actually going back to that draft, Kirby Doc did make sense for a lot of reasons. The Blackhawks didn't have a lot of center depth other than Jonathan Taves at that time. They didn't have any right-handed shots other than Alex Dabrinkit, and they needed someone who could, you know, do a little bit of everything, have some size and a little bit of skill to their game. So it did make sense, not just because of the offensive side of things, but because of the well-rounded nature that Kirby Doc had at such a young age. Like, I know you tie it to the number three overall pick and you want an offensive stud, but if at the end of the day, Kirby Doc... If, if he becomes a strong two-way center and a true, you know, maybe not offensive masterpiece, but if he becomes credible there as a good centerman, I know he's got a long way to go at the face-off dot still, um, but I just think people tie too much that number three overall pick to his name. And I hope yeah. Kirby is able to kind of brush that off of his shoulders and not let that affect him and realize like he is still a very valuable hockey player, even if he's not a point per game guy because of what he's able to do without the puck on a stick too. Yeah. And, and last point I'll make on this too, like the two names that the Blackhawks were, were really linked to, or like they were debating between it felt like was Alex Turcotte and Bowen Byram. And like, think about this, Alex Turcotte just made his NHL debut like a few weeks ago. Like, and, and everyone's like already drawn conclusions on, on Kirby doc. And by the way, like Alex Turcotte, like, isn't, you know, he's, he's an undersized player. So like, I don't know how he's going to be at the NHL level. Right. And then, and then you look at a guy like Bowen Byram, who's like, he's a really, he's a stud defenseman. Like he's a really good defenseman, but like he's battling concussions right now. And like I know. His, his career is like probably in jeopardy. So I mean, like, you know, the water isn't always green or the, what is it? The grass isn't always green on the other side. Like it's green where you water it. So like water, water Kirby doc continue with his development because the other two options that they were toying with, you know, like I'm sure Colorado is probably like, man, like this guy could be so good. And like, he's dealing with injuries and head injury and you hate to see it. Like you hate to see it. Right. But you know, it's, it's just, I just need, it felt fair to point that out because a lot of people are going to go back on the draft and be like, well, they could have gotten Trevor Zegers or more. It's And it's like, well, those, those two players were certainly in the conversation, but like the two players that were really, you know, it, the two players it really came down to like was Alex Turcotte and Bowen Byram when like the conversation was happening. It wasn't like it was Trevor, it was the Trevor Zegris or, or, or not, you know, like, so right. I just wanted to put that in perspective too. Like it's, it's going to be so easy to look back at the draft class in 2019 and be like, man, they should have taken this guy or they should have taken this guy. But you know, at the time, you know, really they, nobody knew Trevor Z was, was going to be, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but like, you know what I mean? Like it, he wasn't, he wasn't like the primary favorite to be that number three pick. Not by it, any it means. Really, not by any means. Right. So it came down to like Turcotte and Byram and then it ended up being Doc. So, you know, Dude, and even, even most perspective, most cider was a curveball and a half by the Red Wings. I remember people losing their marbles when most cider got taken in the top 10 and look at them now. So yeah, you never exactly. know how things can pan out. Don't tie too much into where they were taken in the NHL draft. I get the frustration, but this kid's still 21 years old. So I hope Blackhawks fans can realize that, that Kirby Doc is still very young in this whole process. And as you said, when you compare it to the other two guys who were really in contention for the Blackhawks, it doesn't look like a bad pick really. So um, it's just kind of however you, you want to look at it, but I still think everyone should keep high hopes for doc because he's still so young and he's really just kind of figuring out who he is as a player. And there's still so much to be hopeful for. Um, But last question I got here for you, Charlie, uh, just kind of based on everything we've seen from the Blackhawks so far in the first half of the season, in your opinion, what do you think needs to be their biggest focus in the off season? Is it, 
adding another piece up front? Is it adding to the blue line, adding to the prospect pool? I know a lot of things are going to be changing in these next couple of months, but when you look at strictly on the ice, what do you think the Blackhawks should be trying to get or trying to focus on once the season comes to an end? Yeah, I think they have to accumulate um, draft picks and prospects. Like that's the two. I mean, I'm not really counting the bubble. So like, let's just put that aside. The Hawks haven't won a playoff round since the 2015 Stanley Cup final. So it's been what, six years of, of not really having postseason success. And they, they don't have a, a, um, a big pipeline. Like it's really Lucas Reichel and that's it. And I know there was a lot of hype on like Adam Boquist and Kirby doc, and they got thrown under the fire prematurely, but still like they, they, you know, they, they, it's like Ian Mitchell and, and Nicholas Bodan and like a lot, they had high hopes for all these, these young guys. And like, they're, they're not these highly coveted prospects. Right. So I think they just organizationally just go look at the 2010 team, the 2013 team, like who are all those players? Like, where did all they, them come from? That was like hitting on Patrick Kane, hitting on Jonathan Taves, hitting on the later rounds and Nicholas Jalmerson and Duncan Keith and, and um, Brent Seabrook and Corey Crawford, like all those guys were drafted. Right. So they have to, a accumulate draft picks B hit on those draft picks, which I know is way easier said than done because it feels like it gets harder and harder to identify those players. And then C it's like, just like maybe taking a flyer on, on somebody else's um, prospects and maybe change the scenery type moves where you can, you know, get some value out of that or, or whatever it is. I just, I can't sit there and look at the roster right now and be like, they need a top six forward or a top four defenseman. Like, I just think they organizationally need to restock the pipeline. Yeah, definitely. When you look at things as a whole, it's really Lucas Reichel and then a huge cliff. There's not a whole lot of high-end prospects, at least at the moment for the Blackhawks. Maybe we'll get a surprise in two in there, but overall as a group, definitely one of the thinner prospect pools in the entire NHL. So I completely agree with you there. The Blackhawks got to do whatever it takes to get as many prospects and hope that they can hit on those guys because um, there's a lot of issues for the team. I don't think it just starts with one area either. I think, you know, they got to build back strong and have those depth guys who are really able to make a difference. Like when you look at teams across the NHL, it's the teams that win are, are four good lines and three pairings of defensemen who can all play, you know? So in the Blackhawks, I feel like haven't been able to draft well enough to, to help out the supporting cast. That's why we've seen all these rotation of players. So um, it, it's going to be a really big uh, and crucial stretch for whoever winds up getting the job for the Blackhawks as their general manager. But um, I, I think we just, in, in terms of what the Blackhawks need, it's just all got to be about the future, future, future. And, uh, the only way to do that is by making um, um, some moves on these expiring contracts and just trying to, to accumulate as many picks and, and add to the pipeline in the future. I think that's the only way they can go about this, Charlie. Yeah, no question. I love it that we're ending on something we can all agree on. I, I completely <laughs> agree, buddy. Um, but all right, Charlie, as always, man, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Uh, I really appreciate it. Always a ton of fun. Uh, and I have a feeling, buddy, when we chat next, we're going to have a lot to talk about once again, because as I've talked about several times, a key couple of months coming up here for the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, no question. Let's hope brighter days ahead for uh, the city <laughs> of Chicago and the, their hockey team, because uh, it's overdue, right? Like it feels like there's some six optimism. Years. Six years yeah. since playoff wins, man. Yeah. And it just feels like there, I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but it, there is some optimism moving forward. Like given, you know, like, okay, there's a breath of fresh air with, you know, a new regime and a new coaching staff or whatever. So 
you know, roster wise, that's an entirely different discussion, but I think, you know, let's just hope, you know, we got that town hall meeting on Wednesday and, and we'll maybe hear the vision of the, the organization moving forward. And so hopefully they can, you know, and then I'm, I'm confident too. And, and like Kyle Davidson, if, if he gets the full-time gig, I, I think fans are really going to appreciate that it is a breath of fresh air that he is not going to be me, be married to a lot of these past decisions. And, and he's going to seek out a lot of input from, from people in the organization and, and around the organization and um, see what's best uh, for the organization moving forward, both in the short term and the long term. Exciting times coming up for the Blackhawks, even though it has not been the season we wanted. Once again, Charlie, thank you for joining me on the show, man. Can't wait to do this again soon. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's always good to chat with you and uh, and keep up the the good work. You are you are doing really well, doing really solid, like really good work. Um, you're at practice a lot, so you're you're grinding, you're hustling, and I think uh, a lot of fans appreciate that. So keep it up, and uh, I'd love to do this again soon. Appreciate all the kind words, man. Same goes back to you. I know you're doing some phenomenal work. All the fans appreciate out there. And I see those Twitter followers blowing up, man. Getting up there, dude. <laughs> hey, listen, the, the key, the key to this, key to, to get your following up, just just keep your, your video recorder on Patrick Kane. Patrick <laughs> Kane videos and the, the fans love that stuff. So I'm not really doing anything. I'm just making sure that my video camera is on Patrick Kane all the time because a lot of fans like to see what he's, what shootout moves he's doing at practice or at morning skates. It's fun. It's fun. Cause I, I know that's what fans want to see too. Right. Absolutely. Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. <laughs> exactly. All right, Charlie. Thanks again, buddy. I really appreciate you. Thanks Jack. Appreciate it.